This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be that you know Gary has so much insight to offer and I think what we'll do is to keep it connected to what we do we'll talk about some of the things I think are important to us and get sort of Gary's um, thoughts and reflections on how that may apply to us and how we can take it into our daily lives at work or daily lives in general so I think the session was actually labeled around purpose and you know so Cody is a very purpose-driven organization uh, a lot of our focus is in diversity and beauty, so don't, we don't just look at his products on the shelves, we look at it as self-expression yep. and self-expression for everybody. So I would love to hear from you. We would love to hear, you know, we're very purposeful, but sometimes the hard part is putting it into practice. So from your evolution and the way you've handled Vayner, the way that you move forward VaynerX, um, how do you translate that purpose into practice? What are some of the things that you stay tethered to? You know, for me, hey everybody, thanks for having me. For me, I think it's about authenticity, meaning, I, you know, I, I look at the world from afar and I do think Cody is a, a purpose-driven organization. I really do, I don't know it's super detailed, but from what I watch and I watch carefully, but not more so than hitting the numbers every 90 days. And I think that if you own that, it changes everything. I think that you know, ideology and reality are very, very important. I desperately, a lot of stuff you reference and anybody here who knows me deeply, I desperately want to bring the most value to entrepreneurship in the world because it put me on. I came from the Soviet Union, we had nothing. Like The game that got me to where I am today is something I admire and I respect and I love and I wanna give back tremendously to it and I leave economics on the table all the time for that but I still publicly always say that I wanna buy the New York Jets. And, and like, that's gonna take money. You know, it's not, you know, I'm not gonna be in the nonprofit of entrepreneurship uh, game. And I think that where I've watched organizations lose their way is, is it's imperative to have everybody aligned to the reality. And I do think that every organization, every person does have the ability to have selfish wants and needs and selfless acts. And so the way I've been able to tether into it is uh, VaynerX, the holding company, we bought PureWow a year and a half ago, we just started 1.37 p.m., a men's brand. We're doing a lot of things, I'm announcing another company within it, so as I'm building out the holding company and then VaynerMedia, the same thing is like, look, we're building what what I'd like to call a honey empire, right? The word empire is aggressive. Like we want to build a very big organization. It's I love the game of building businesses. But there's the reason it's called the Honey Empire is we think we're going to do that through being an HR driven organization, not a CFO driven organization. I think the f- most interesting person to talk to in my world is Alan Harker and Claude Silver, the chief heart officer and the CFO. They know the truth. Like I can be up here and be my showman self. Like they know every day we pick human decisions over finances. My CFO literally yelled at me a week ago and goes, we don't do severances around here, we do communism. The culture creates continuity. Continuity is something I believe in tremendously because I believe in speed. Speed comes from continuity. When you have the same players, you know, I think one of the great things that blew me away about CPG land is people rotate every 18, 24 months in some of these organizations and I'm like, so I get why for the people but what a devastating blow to the piece of business because continuity is tremendously important. So for me, when you're, when you, I think we've lived, we're living through a very interesting world where unfortunately, I think people are using altruism and good to disguise selfish wants and needs financially. Um, and I think that's a vulnerability. 
Um, I think you can absolutely, and I think you can carry those conflicting views and I think the way you do that through is transparency and so I don't know how it works in the halls here but I would say if like, if uh, both are under, I think one is an aspiration and one is understood and I think that means one is in the light and one is in the dark and I would put both in the light because I think all the good stuff happens in the light and all the bad stuff happens in the dark. And you raised two great points that actually paved the way for the next uh, thing I'd love to ask you, which is you talk about how it needs to be HR driven and continuity is important. And I think those two things play a little bit because you do see motion in CPG and beauty and in many other industries, especially around tech, because people will feel stifled, right? And people, especially those of us who are entrepreneurial, we want to go out, we want to be entrepreneurial either on our own or in the organization. Uh, we learn, we go, and then we're like, okay, what do we do now? So I think part of that continuity is fostering that entrepreneurial spirit in an organization, right? So Look, I'm gonna say something here that's super important. I think we have to deploy self-awareness. I think entrepreneurship got cool in the last three to five years, which is awesome for me, been super awkward because you know, growing up as an immigrant in the 80s and 90s, it was school or nothing. So it's been kind of fascinating to watch it. And I think what that's done is, look, if you work at Cody, you are not an entrepreneur. You may have entrepreneurial aspirations. You may have entrepreneurial tendencies. You may think it's cool and wish you were while it's cool right now. And don't worry, when the economy goes down, it won't be cool. Um, uh, But I do think we have to find a balance of that as well. We have to be upfront with our employees. Like, an entrepreneur could never conceive working for somebody. You know, could never conceive being held accountable to 90-day numbers because you know that's not at the health of a long-term business. So I think we have to be fair and say, look, being creative and being on the offense, that's different. Um, and I think you know, this entrepreneur, it's like a half-pregnant, cool move by people and I think we need to quantify it so that they don't feel like they're being suppressed. Like, you wanna be an entrepreneur? Be a big boy and quit and go be an entrepreneur. And so I think, like, I think we need to be very uh, fair to our teammates. Like, I envy executives. There's a lot of things. I, I could be more successful as an entrepreneur if I had some of the tendencies of executives, some of the disciplines of executives. I envy them, I think they're great skills. I think self-awareness is the ultimate, ultimate. Uh, in a lot of ways and so I think that it's cute and we're playing up to it as an organization but we have to be careful because then you're creating entitlement that lacks reality um, and I think that's, that's dangerous. No, it makes sense. And so how do you, uh, on the other side, right? I mean, you have a, a, a huge organization. Yep. I'm sure that um, <clears throat> folks in your organization look up to you and they're like, they love, you know, they love their founder, their CEO, they want to borrow from some of that behavior and some of that passion yep. and apply it to their work. How would you, how do you encourage that in your organization? For people like your point, like yep. there is that, there is that reality where you quit, you go. Two places where that goes. One. I kind of encourage people to leave Vayner and do their thing if that's what makes them happy. Like the, you know, I was born in the Soviet Union. The thought of like creating a jail, you know, as a company. This is the most interesting thing about corporations. I came, you know, for the last nine years, I've been studying them, being in it. They act way more like communism than capitalism, right? Everything's like you, you box people in. You know, what's amazing about capitalism versus communism is in communism you put everybody in a box up front. Right? In capitalism, you let people roam and then when they do something wrong, you put them in a box. And that's how I think about my executives. I tell them, A, first I listen and I'm like, oh, you're an entrepreneur, like, you should start a company. Like, I have a, I have a guy who's been doing video for us for a long time who's 
starting a company in two weeks and I'm gonna help him because I was like, okay, it's time for you. You need to taste this. You'll regret not trying. You could always come back in two years. Like happiness is the ROI, right? But the other thing I tell executives is like, do forget about my own rules, do things, just know this. A, make sure your intent is in the right place because I'm gonna be the dictator and judge and jury and Supreme Court of your intent and if I think your intent was in the best interest of the organization from your point of view, you will win every time even if you lose the biggest client, even if you like, if, you know, make sure your intent is right. Intent is imperative because a lot of executives in an organization are doing things in self-interest for their next step to move up in it and for me that comes natural to figure out so I let them know, I'm like, look, you do not want to be at the mercy of me being the single judge of your intent Uh, so know that I think I'm good at it and comfortable with the decisions I make and so you're gonna be at that repercussion but break things if you think it's right Um, and and then what happens is you get to see the people that feel comfortable in that environment or even go more, you know, sometimes they hear and they get become even more defense and that's fine too, um, but that's how I handle it. I make them feel safe. I never pick our clients over my employees, ever, ever, ever. That's a real quick way to get people to feel safe. Told me to fire two junior people because of one bad tweet six years ago and they were our biggest client and I said no and everybody knew it because just like I shared all the comms and everything and spoke in front of the company and it changed the course of our company. These were junior people. But you stuck up for them in the end. And it, by the way, I'm not Mother Teresa because it's the right thing to do if you're building a company because you need to feel safe. And employees do not feel safe because companies are financially driven. Short-term financially driven. If they were long-term financially driven, you'd all feel real safe. You brought up a good point earlier about the appetite for entrepreneurism and I think that when people are in a safe environment, like they, they have a full-time job, they, they can, they have very specific tasks that they yes. can move through in a day and then they, they sort of daydream a little bit and some, some people, like to your point, they'll quit, they'll go and they'll, they'll act on it. Some people will daydream a little bit because to your point, it's cool, there's a, an yeah. enigma about it. Uh, what is the dark side of what you do. In, in other words, what, were, what would be some words of wisdom oh. for people who are looking to pursue this path this where it's my, like, you know, it's not all, you know, it's not all. Uh, well, this is my, this is my, um, I mean, the reason, if you follow me on Instagram, the reason, look, I hate the motivational version of me because I don't like motivational speakers. I don't know, it's very funny. It's kind of meta. I, I don't like it because uh, most people I think are full of and just want you to pay them money or be, they have no practical understanding. You know, I built a business, a retail business from three to $65 million in five years with no money as a 22-year-old kid. I'm a practitioner. You know, the reason the media and advertising world's been fun to me is these executives don't do. Like, do you know how many people don't know how, G, you know, like how GRPs or Nielsen ratings or, like the whole thing is a mirage. We have people making decisions that aren't practitioners. You know how many people in this room watching this right now have opinions of Facebook advertising and have never run an ad in their life. So the reason I don't like motivational speakers per se is I don't like people who aren't practitioners. A 22 year old life coach on Instagram is laughable, right? You know, why don't you live life a little bit? And so now, that being said, some people are natural talents and some people have things to say. To me it's just talk to me about real life, right? Uh, Here's why I started putting out more motivational content on Instagram. Entrepreneurship got cool, everybody thinks they're an entrepreneur, everybody's trying to do it, and 99% of them are gonna fail. 
And here's the difference about failing in school or in a company. You know what, what I envy about all of you? You can blame somebody else. <laughs> when your business isn't doing well, when you got fired, they were wrong. Karen undermined me and that's why I got right? So, so She did though. Yeah, I get it. And so what's amazing about being an employee is there's somebody always to blame. What's devastating about being an entrepreneur is you have to wear your scarlet letter out wide. And a lot of the kids especially, or executives, that are making that jump right now <laughs> have never lived in an actual environment. School and companies are fake environments. And that's the fact. And so a lot of them have been, and especially, you know, the most interesting conversation about millennials for me is the generation that parented them judging them. We've created the entitlement and now we're judging them. You didn't want your kid to cry so you created an environment of no adversity which of course made them incapable of dealing with (laughs) And so, you know, I'm scared because I think a lot of people, you know, being a VP at Cody or Proctor versus being a successful entrepreneur is like the difference between being a giraffe and being a hockey player. They're just very different. I would never succeed in this company. I know, because I got D's and F's my whole life and told, everyone told me in any structured environment that I was gonna be a loser. Like, I get it. And I don't think I'm better, by the way. Really, I genuinely do not. I think they're different. Um, but we need to, my fear is that, my fear is what's happening that nobody's talking about, which is enormous drug use and depression and suicide in entrepreneur land because everybody has to put up a facade on Instagram, but the reality is it's hard. It's lonely as And guess what? You never relax. You know what's awesome about a vacation when you're an employee? You're on vacation. When it's your business, there is no vacation. It's like parenting. That's how you can understand it if you've never had a business. It's always on, forever, till the end. You're the last line of defense. That's a lot of pressure and some people have the stomach for it and others don't and there is no right or wrong. What's right is being self-aware and not ideological about what you're supposed to do. The reverse of what I grew up with is happening now. Parents are forcing kids to become entrepreneurs because that's what looks good to the Joneses. My little Mark Zuckerberg. Meanwhile, she could be a number four at, you know, at McKinsey and have the greatest life. You have to listen. It's just like customers. You have to listen to them. The thing I've learned about CPG and corporate and beauty and things of that nature, you're not, you're not consumer centric. You're internal. You're not external. You would never pay for a consumer insights report in your life if you were actually consumer centric. All the information is free on the internet. Like there's so much interesting going on brother uh, and a lot of it is about, about honesty and clarity and real. It's the reason I'm so excited that we're going through all this social tension. I'm excited about Facebook and the internet because it's exposing the shadows. We're, we're in the beginning of a process of a great era of the human race because we're finally actually looking at because there's nowhere to hide. As a practitioner, I think we, we I love that because I think it, it, there, is, there is real irreplaceable value for experience, for you know, falling on your knees or your face, whichever comes first sometimes in that yeah. Um When it comes to the visceral part of doing business for you, uh, I don't think there's a magic number, right? It's not, okay, 50% is science. In other words, sitting there and doing my homework and looking at you know, uh, P&Ls it. for a company yep. and 50% is intuition, but in your case, 
as you've evolved and as you've made very risky decisions, both for your own company as well as investing in other people's companies, you know, what part does the visceral play for you? What part do you say, this is my gut? Because the truth is, you are always taking a risk. You are gambling to a degree, especially when uh, you're, you're working with something that doesn't really have defined precedent. Yeah, I mean, quite a bit. You know, to me, that's, uh, that's the fun of being an entrepreneur. I feel like I'm on the offense. I think I'm a quarterback and I think most you know, Wall Street driven or VC driven companies are linebackers. They're reacting, right? They're playing to short term numbers. Um, so yeah, I go a ton on my intuition. Now as the world has evolved, you can use math in a way that I didn't grow up with. You know, I can use big data more and more now to you know, look at an assumption or an intuition and cross a T or dot an I, which is incredible. Um, but in macro decisions, buying a publishing company as an agency, because I thought it was a smart move, was something that nobody had done from the agency side. Uh, nobody nine years ago aspired to build creative and media under one roof, organic in perpetuity. Uh, I didn't even know that that's how it used to be done. Uh, I actually spend no time on the B2B environment that I'm ever in. I'm just in the consumer world. And so when you were talking, I was like, man, I do everything on tuition, but I'm like, huh. But t- I'm gonna fly to LA right now after this and I'm gonna read four hours of people's comments on Stranger Things and Lululemon and politics. Like, I don't consume content, bless you. I don't consume content, I consume people reacting to content. I'm like, I'm very, it's super weird. Like, I only know the things in culture through the eyes. When Cardi B was blowing up two years ago, 18 months ago, I read 80,000 comments about Cardi B without ever hearing a song or even see, this is crazy, seeing what Cardi B looked like. So to me, I'm blindly consumer centric, which is why for a lot of you that have spent time with me or know me is I roll with bravado, not because I think I'm better than anybody, it's because I know that everybody else is in a B2B environment even though they wanna make pretend they're in a B2C environment, which makes them utterly tone deaf to the reality of the marketplace and I see it every single day. And then what gets worse is I have empathy now for you Oh, right, you're being held accountable to internal MMMs and awards and reporting and Nielsen ratings and data logic and all this complete and utter that justifies behavior that has nothing to do with the health of the business. All the while, Amazon is going to destroy big box and retail. You're gonna deal with channel conflict and your actual competitors aren't Cincinnati and Bergen County. It's all the direct-to-consumer brands that are going to chop away at you at five and 10 and 15 million at a piece and you're gonna do nothing about it because you can't because you won't be able to actually do DTC which is what you have to do because you have channel conflict and if you start showing that behavior, Walgreens and Sephora and Walmart are gonna kill you in the short term. Thus, you're gonna continue to fund through trade dollars your actual competitor which is the retailers who are gonna have to private label you triple aggressive because Amazon's gonna destroy them over the next decade. And so you're gonna only have one move which is actually build brand but unfortunately you're gonna spend on TV, print and programmatic digital because that's what the scoring mechanism internally justifies because the media agency partners you've had through the last decade make the most margin on those three things. That's your company. <laughs> and, and, and I used to think I was smart and now I realize you actually know what I just said is right and true, it's just you can't do anything about it. So 
I can see a ton of questions brewing here. So I'm not gonna hold folks up. But I, I will say this, I don't do that rant and I'm gonna say this for everybody watching, I don't wanna be cool, I'm not trying to be a provocateur, I don't think I'm a disruptor, I think I'm practical. I think that's very logical business talk and I can see by the vibes in this room, you know. So the question is like, okay, you know, it ladders all the way up to the board and the C-suite, I'm like, oh, you know, this is me playing out over the last nine years. I'm like, oh, right. I can't be mad at them either. They think they're, you know, they're gonna, play for another three and a half years. They want the stock price to be at a certain point so they can do what is good for them and I understand the human condition. We are gonna see the greatest decline in the biggest brands in the world over the next two decades. I genuinely believe that you and your competitors don't exist in 20 years, period. That either the whole company goes private or far more likely the brands are gonna be sold off individually and broken up, go private and things of that nature. It's not sustainable. Uh, the short-term behavior in a world where literally TV is becoming OTT, Facebook, and Instagram, and YouTube, and retail is becoming Amazon and Shopify. It's just not sustainable. And so exactly what has happened to every other thing that gets disrupted, including democracies and governments much bigger than your company, is gonna happen to you. So now my question is, what are we gonna do about it? So for me, while I'm renting, by the way, I didn't get to say this, I started VaynerMedia for one reason. Everything I just said I believed in nine years ago. I came here to learn, meet people, and then buy the brands that you guys sell off and run them myself and flip them and buy the Jets and win six Super Bowls. So to me, on the back of investing in Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr early on and building a huge business, I was super rich at 34. I didn't need to start a client service business and eat from brand managers that went to Colgate and the University of Chicago. I did it because I wanted to learn and I knew the only way I would learn is be in it. And so, but if somebody gives me a dollar as a client service provider, I wanna deliver. So what are we gonna do about it? The thing that I'm excited about is because of my selfish ambition, our clients have had the collateral benefit of working with us because I'm not trying to maximize margin when we work with you. I'm trying to figure out how to sell this for real. So, that being said, I come from the agency side, so I, the dating part is very familiar. Uh, I think about, so for us, right, it's, it, it kind of, it's two questions. It's how do we become better clients, but I think the bigger question around that is. You, come, you become bigger, better clients by firing agencies when they're not doing behavior that is in your best interest, which, oh, by the way, has been flabbergasting to me that that is actually always. It is, it is the most bizarre world I've ever come into. I've been in startup small business land, I've been in Silicon Valley, I've been in a lot of places. The specific Madison Avenue relationship with the biggest companies in the world is bizarre. Because it happens at such a high level, you know, like if, if your chairman is homies with their chairman and you get, they get the whole business, and I don't know the Cody dynamic at all, but like, that whole, like, the whole holding company gets the whole business and you feel even if you're an upper senior management, you can't do anything about it? Or, even if you could, well, they all look the same and so what's the difference and you're disrupting it? I think there will be a very popular business book written about the last 30 years between agencies and clients of how the holding company agencies extracted all the value out of the biggest companies in the world from Coca-Cola down. It is a fascinating thing for me to watch. Every single thing out of their mouths is predicated on short-term EBITDA, which leads to every single opinion that comes out of the mouth of media companies and creative companies. 
which is why awards and ad age and reporting carry so much currency, not actual business health. My last question for you before I turn it over is, um, you've mentioned on a few occasions through various channels that you, you speak to people on about the importance of people, relationships. Um, I feel like that's the one thing that is often neglected, not just in a, in a large corporation, but you know, you, some startups go out there, uh, you know, you got guys who are heavily technical, they know their they go out there, they're, they're you know, MIT graduates. The, the missing link is generally that attention to the human element. So, you know, what, um, on kind of like a, a, a final note, what is something that we should all consider or others should consider as they go out into the world of business, expose themselves more, like a little bit about the human element? What's the sort of the, really the guiding light for that? Listening. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's so interesting. I'm such a talker and I get it and I understand, like, it's funny that like the people that are closest to me know that I listen and then like when I make the content and in a room like this, it's like this guy talks all the time, I get it. But it is absolutely all listening. Like the reason I think I'm a good CEO or why it's working or why we have ridiculous retention numbers of people we want to keep is because I think I work for my 900 employees. I work for them. And I know that today you want to be me one day and run this company. And in four years you fall in love and you want a little more work-life balance. And then you want to move because you want to try something. To me, I'm always, it's no different than being an entrepreneur when you're last line of defense. Individually, for my employees and my customers and the customer of my customers, I'm just reverse engineering whatever is the ROI of that second. And I think that's daunting. You know, like managing that many people and knowing it's not only the net of those people, but it's every day of those people that anything can happen that will change what their ROI is in life is a, is a powerful thought, but it is absolutely, you know, people, I got booed really aggressively only once on stage in my life. It's when I clowned on Steve Jobs right after he died at South by Southwest, which was definitely not the audience for it, but I was making this point, which is Steve Jobs at the time was very dangerous in my opinion because it was cool that he was mean to people and everybody in Silicon Valley started being mean to their employees. And I took two things from that. One, that sucks. And two, as in the last 18 months, my personal brand has exploded and a lot of young dudes specifically are following me. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make nice cool. I'm gonna make empathy and gratitude and kindness swaggied out. And it's really funny to watch and I'm watching it and it's been very exciting to me because that's leaving, that's leaving a mark and so you can do that too, even if you do it for one person. When I make my content, or when I speak here, like I'm not confused by the context of it. I'm talking to one person. If one person, uh, let me tell you what I really am trying to achieve here just to make it very clear. I just want all the employees watching right now to actually say what they actually think in a meeting instead of what they know is acceptable within the organization because that's how you actually start helping a brand do business. I did a lot of homework, a lot, on the transition of radio to television in America at every angle. Because that's what we're living through if you're confused. Like, the television commercial is dead. Like, really. And that doesn't mean that they don't have them, it doesn't mean that you don't pay for them, it doesn't mean that some of them get seen, but a cost of a television ad in comparison to what it does for you is laughable. On the, what's, what's interesting about that, nuanced wise, I think the number one thing Cody as an organization should do is buy Super Bowl. I think Super Bowl is the most underpriced ad in marketing. So there's all these nuances. I love digital except 85% of the digital executions. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, and the things I currently love, influencers, Instagram, you know, 
uh, Facebook specific pre-roll YouTube units, you know, I might hate them tomorrow. Day trading attention. Attention is the currency and understanding how to penetrate it and then have creative that matters within it is it. And we get ourselves so convoluted in the middle of everything else. And it's the same thing with R&D. If we're having a, you know, the amount of money this company will spend on R&D on things that the organization ideologically thought consumers care about is remarkably scary. And so that's what big companies do. And then most of all, you are funding your competitor with your retail relationships right now. That to me is just the one that's really about to rear its head. So listening, and if you listened at the most macro, your DTC capabilities would have been extreme four years ago. But when you're pandering to short-term numbers, an ad cap at Alta or Walgreens this and that seems super important. Thank you, Gary. You're welcome. What am I looking for in clients or employees uh, that I'm looking forward to do business with, with or how, what have you? Empathy's huge for me. For, for employees, I'm looking for emotional intelligence. Like I'm, my interview process is very funny. Sometimes I'm willing, to, I mean I'm, I'm, I met my wife and married her within one hundredth of a second. Like I'm willing to make intuitive calls, big ones. Um, so sometimes it's literally like within the first two minutes I'm like oh this feels exact, like you know it could be that basic. Other times it's a series of questions. Do you have the capability to be the bigger man and woman in every situation is my North Star. And then like I will literally reverse engineer that in a million different ways. I will look at social. Like I will really be thoughtful about that. With clients, I think it's the same dynamic that clients have figured out with agencies, which is they're all the same. Meaning, I have empathy for clients. If you're a publicly traded company, I know exactly what you're doing. So what I'm looking for is are there people that can actually change something in the organization that know that everything that just came out of my mouth is 100% correct, not 99. I have a lot of thoughts that are 99% correct. And you won't hear them come out of my mouth. The reason I have the energy I have is this has been like quadruple tested. There's plenty of things I think, but I'm staying silent because I don't want to be wrong. There's no reason to guess anymore. So can I find an organization that is a senior enough leader that believes everything that I just said and does she or he have the ability to stick around long enough to make the bet because it's in her or his financial vested interest. Show me a CEO where she signed up for six more years and I'll show you somebody who wants to do business with me. Show me a company where the CEO's leaving in nine months, I'm finished. Uh, the question is when I talk about self-awareness, can I expand on that? I mean, you know, the definition's pretty, you know, I think the thing that scares me about self-awareness is I have no idea how to teach it. Right, that's, not, that's where my, you know, I know where I stop and where you know, somebody else has to jump in. But to me is, do you get high on your own supply? Right, like do you actually know who you are? Like do you understand who you are, what you're good at, what you're not good at, and do you actually love who you are instead of wish you were something else? The difference between the contestants that went on American Idol and I were like, said I'm great, and then they would sing and we would all laugh, right? You know, we have that. We all are managing people like that in our lives who literally think there's something and it's just utter, you know, you know, and then it plays out in the emotional intelligence, right? The thing that you fear. I'm less worried that you think you're an incredible like doer. Like to me that's kind of a, a minor thing. Like I can get you from a D to a C in doing and it is what it is. Where the damage is done is when you're not self-aware, it manipulates into everybody else is wrong, not me. You literally can't hear that 27 people gave you feedback that you're a
you know? And it's everybody else's fault. And that lack of accountability that transcends when you're not self-aware uh, is super important. I, I'm palpable because I can, I can balance ego with humility predicated on what the market told me, not what I wish I was, you know, the results. Like, I think I'm a good boss because my retention numbers show it. And it's not because we're throwing money at it. You know, I do it because if you walked in and said, this is what you want to do, I spend a lot of time and effort. Most of my employees like me more when they're gone. You know, because either I help them get their next job in a better way than they could have ever imagined given the limited contact I have with them, or because they realized how unique our culture actually is. Especially the young ones who never had a job outside of us. They are the one, they're the ones I'm trying to figure out the most because they don't have any other context. So they think this is how it is. Um, but you know, just, you know, do you really know what you're good at? I mean, I suck at 99% of things, my friend. You know, I've just made my life about the 1% I'm great at. What's the question about, what is in my head on social media? So I, I'm off and running. I think Cody should spend 60% of its working media dollars globally overall on Instagram. And I think that 99% of the executives that just heard that think that's laughable and insane. And I think that's the delta. And that's it, like that's, you know. So TV for me is something I don't worry about because one thing that's unique about how I think about things which is I just don't care about yesterday and the only other thing I don't care about is tomorrow. I care about right this second, right? And so Instagram TV is fun to watch. I'm watching it very carefully. You know, I started realizing, oh weird, I'm like those people that go into the jungle and watch the rhino for nine years and then come out and like, that's what I'm doing with humans. I'm just watching, so I don't need to be the first to do something in IGTV. I wanna be the best at doing stuff. I don't need the headline for first. Now if first is good for the business, sometimes it is, right? Taco Bell, Burberry, Zappos back in the day, that was a big transaction to Amazon for being first on social media. There's, you know, so first is good, but you have to know that's why you're doing it. But I am, I am blown away that if people care about 15 to 55 year old females in the world that they don't realize that Instagram is disproportionately important. And there's another reason. It's not that you won't see an ad in Vogue or a billboard or an in-store activation. I don't think of it as like, even though I use a term like dead to kind of like really get people to understand how big of the delta, I don't think anything's dead. I think you can do smoke signals. I think in overpriced and underpriced attention. Instagram is such underpriced attention that you're gonna be sad in five years when your reports say you should do it, that it's costing you eight times more and it's half as effective. The question is who do I think is doing it right with Instagram? Uh, entrepreneurs and hucksters. <laughs> you know? People who don't try to measure based on things that don't matter. You know? When you're, when you're trying to transition from being an, you know what's really funny? I get the wildest DMs and emails from people inside or Cody, who are like, you know, this will be, I'll use this as a meta thing. You came and spoke to us nine months ago, I was like, ah, this guy's a blowhard, you know, a charlatan. Then my wife or my husband or my sister or my brother started this like peanut butter company and, you know, obviously I'm the big dog at, you know, a corporation, so I kept and helped with the marketing and I gotta tell you, over the last three months I've become much more aligned with your points of view on marketing and what's really interesting and I wanna make sure everybody hears this, I am not a DR guy. I'm a marketing and brand guy, not a last touch attribution sales guy. 
I built Wine Library from three to 60, not on sales DR. I built a brand and then remarketed against the halo of that. I'm obsessed with Facebook because it's TV, not direct mail. It just happens to be direct mail too. And if you really know how to make TV and direct mail work in 1974, you build Procter & Gamble. Got it? So that's what's happening. And it's at a cost right now that is so remarkably low. I mean, I mean, influencer marketing on Instagram is so scary. And I eat my own dog food. This big shoe deal I did with K-Swiss, like my marketing plan when they gave me the budget is I gave away 1,700 pairs of this sneaker. We only made 30,000. <laughs> you know, like, think about that. Like, to me, I know what underpriced attention looks like because I've watched Amazon be the number one spender on Google for Google AdWords for the first five years of Google and then become Amazon because I did the history work on how Proctor did it with TV. Because I know Wish the shopping, how many of you guys know that Wish the shopping app? Raise your hand, I'm just curious. Raise it high, I want everybody to see, and you don't have to lie, there's no big deal to it, I just wanna get a sense. So probably about half. Wish the shopping app is gonna do between four and six, because you can't get clear numbers, four to six billion in revenue. If you go open up your iPhone right now, if you have one, and even Android, like it is a top 100 app in every part of the world. It spent all its money on Facebook. You know, I don't know what people think is happening, and you know this, your grandmother watches Netflix. Like you know this as a human, but something happens when you enter here where you transform into conforming into what's good for your career. And I honestly, I used to hate that because I'm an entrepreneur. I have, I, have de- I have been able to deploy a lot of empathy to that. It doesn't mean it's right. And the data is very clear on the health of the biggest brands in the world. This is not going in the right direction. And it's not gonna be one of the other incumbents. It's gonna be the death of a thousand cuts. There's gonna be 4,000 people selling makeup on Amazon and Shopify in the next 12 months that had never even thought about being in the makeup business a year ago and they're going to be successful because even if you're an amateur, an amateur, 24 hours of watching videos and reading a couple articles, you can be successful on Facebook, Instagram, and Amazon right now because it's that underpriced. Because your agency partners won't spend on Amazon and Facebook because it can't be as profitable as their own internal DSP, which they're gonna justify with horse metrics. Real life. I don't care how good your print rates are. Nobody's going to page 137 of Vogue. What, you know, right? And so like, you know, and it's real. And like, what's really happening is executives will go work somewhere else. But this is, the, this is it. This was the rise of brands. They rose with supermarkets and big box and television. And this is gonna be the beginning of the end over the next 20 years. And so for me, it's like, if we're all getting paid, we should be accountable to trying to do the best work we can. I take my scopes very seriously. Like, I feel obligated. Um, so I look for people that will actually take us up on our advice. Very often I have to make this call. Hey, can we get a drink? Like, on a very serious note, like, thank you so much for the business. Like, you know, I'm very consumer centric, but like, you hired us to be VaynerMedia and you've systematically over the last six months are trying to turn us into BBDO or Starcom. Let's go have that combo because they're great at that. I'm like, but you know, let's remember why we came here. And so we have, that's usually one of the things I have to do. In the last year and a half, I've gone from 300,000 to 3.7 million followers on Instagram, mainly 
15 to 25 year old dudes and I'm making videos pounding into their skull that gratitude and kindness and empathy and not bottles and models and watches and cash in their face is a much better way to live their life and because of my communication style, they think I'm cool and who I hang out with and the things that I've done and slowly but surely some of them are actually believing me. And how are you bringing that to the, your working environment? Well, that's our religion. I, I fire people that are not nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reason I win this, it's very easy. Like, do you know how pumped I get when I get a superstar into my company and she or he also is a bad person? It's a huge win for me. Because I get to sit in the grass like a cobra <laughs> and she and he thinks that I'm gonna look the other way because they're driving revenue. Because they don't realize I can drive way more revenue in one day than they can in their whole lives. And so the perceived leverage they think they have because it worked everywhere else is a massive vulnerability in my company. And when I sense it in an interview, I tell them this. This is the most bizarre. It'd be one thing if I sandbagged it. I actually tell people what I just said to you. Literally that visual and clear. And they still don't believe me. Because they've been conditioned to believe money over everything. So I get pumped. I don't usually fire them right away. I first let them create context amongst the whole company that they are both A, a winner, and B, a And then I fire them. And then everybody gets recalibrated of like, oh, right. Honey empire, not empire of honey. Actions. Everything that comes out of my mouth, I've done. And I do. Because I have no interest in anybody having leverage over me. And I'm an open book with my admins and everybody that's close to me and I'm not gonna let somebody walk around the earth with a different narrative than I have that actually has the data to prove it. And that's why I love what's going on. When people get mad at me, like I'm too pro the new world, I'm like, Matt Lauer is part of the old world. The old world supported and had the shadows of Me Too and Black Lives Matter. The new world in 100 years, we have a lot of work to do. But this is the beginning of real good stuff. It's the same reason that this company's vulnerable. The old world didn't let entrepreneurs beat you because trade dollars and distribution and, and top of the funnel awareness was in your favor. Now it's not. There's more top of the funnel awareness on Facebook than TV, programmatic, and print combined. And that's what's happening. And distribution, I'm not paying Minnesota or Arkansas or San Francisco any money. I don't need them. Amazon and Shopify has way more for me than Walmart or Alta or Sephora. Bye everyone on camera. Thank you. We're, you're about to hear a lot of propaganda. Vayner's about to hit the scene hard because of the work we're doing at Budweiser. So once this really gets out, and if you're smart and you really understand that craft beer is up triple digits, let alone double digits, and that Budweiser's been declining for 14 years, like how hard that is to turn that brand for real? Oh, of course I do. But I also know why we don't. We don't because we only have one part of it, right? The media or the creative, you know? I know why we don't. Yes, do I think if you said, here, Here's $11 million and I can look at trade too. If I can really run a piece of business, of course. You know, I've run two businesses in my life and they both look very similar. They completely explode. I'm trying to build the reverse of private equity. I don't want to cut costs out of the system. I want to use dollars to actually do something. And that's really my point of view. Of course I do and we do it, I mean, clean and clear. Let's talk about your world. Clean and clear and J&J, you're gonna start hearing stuff like, 
We had full autonomy. Like, of course they were gonna lose. You can't run TV on a brand that's targeting 14 to 19. But I think the problem is everybody thinks this is tomorrow and everybody thinks it's 14 to 19. The biggest brand I can turn around for you is 60 to 80 because that's the best arbitrage right now on Facebook. 60 to 80 because they're all in and they're going slow. I know it's kind of, it's just, you know, it's not super, like they're all in and they're actually reading every post, right? So I'm getting more absorbing of the unit at an underpriced price than I am at, you know, younger demos. Oh, I, I believe in it tremendously. Because the only KPI we have internally is sales because I'm gonna be buying Rolling Rock. I wanna buy Head and Shoulders. Like, I'm, you know, you always have to know what somebody's up to. I'm so desperate to get into that chapter of my life and I need more case studies, I need to meet more people. Like, I'm, being, and I also, to be very frank, I'm waiting for the economy to collapse. And so, you know, if he gets reelected, it'll be six years because it's definitely not gonna happen no matter what he has to do under his watch to not let it collapse. And so I'm in the mindset of being patient, like I preach, which is another thing I preach to everybody because that's really why kids get in bad behavior because they want to keep up with the Joneses at 22 and uh, don't want to put in the work and eat for a decade to put them in that position. Um, yes, as a matter of fact, I think of it actually in the reverse. I think of it that there's no way that brands can grow in the current model. You can't succeed when you're putting 90 cents of the dollar in the garbage. Oh, I'm instilling already. They're eight and five and I'm like talking about real shit with them. Like, I think the biggest thing I have to worry about is, you know, I always kind of had a sense that my kids would grow up with a lot more than me. What I didn't ever see, because I didn't make content on the internet until I was 34 years old, was that they're gonna have to deal with the fact that a lot of people are gonna know who their dad is, right? Like, the last year's been very weird where like every single time I'm out with them, somebody's coming up and like, you know, you, you, you know, I don't know, my mom, I, I had incredible, I had an incredible mother. Like, this is, by the way, a lot of this energy is because I take no credit for anything that I am. I'm the product of two very good parents and a really good circumstance. So it's, all this energy is like, yeah, cool. That, that means you're giving daps to my parents and America, not, not me. Um, I'm very worried about entitlement and I'm obsessed with kindness and so, you know, I, I do think that the companies I run and my two children are a, reflect, a reflection of my execution. Not too much though because I think really the great, the great sadness I have is that most parent, parents treat their kids as a product to show their friends how good they are and I think there's a lot of fake environments being created. So I'm trying to balance, everything is clouds and dirt, you know, pulling from opposite directions, creating friction. Um, but I'm, I'm uh, that I'm actually so comfortable in. There's many things I can't control, the scariest things about their health and things of that nature. But where, they won't be confused what's important because that will be non-debatable. And we have one more, but I'm gonna ask it, piggyback off that, because I have an eight-year-old daughter as well. So you're someone who's, obviously, you live and breathe in the digital and social world. You're a very prominent personality on social media. As you're starting to raise your kids yep. in a digital-first world, yep. they're digital natives from, yep. from the womb. Yep. Um, what scares you? How do you mitigate some of, because there is a the dark side to this, right? There's I'm not this, scared of that. You're not? I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I was much more scared of the world that we all grew up with. Like. I, people, the number one underrated brand in the world is the human being. Like, we are so not thoughtful. Terrorism is very fascinating to me, obviously, us growing up in this era. If terrorism was as real as we are sold, 
a car would drive into 40 people in London, Paris, and New York every day of the week. It's just unstoppable. I think we grossly underestimate people. So like when MySpace first came out and you know, and I was looking at Friendster and MySpace and that's what led me to investing in Facebook and Twitter. You know, I don't know if you guys remember this, but like don't let your kids on MySpace cuz they're going to get kidnapped at the mall. Like you know, texting and driving will bring more harm to our kids this month than terrorism and sex predators combined times 100. We're just not thoughtful. We're just not thoughtful. So I'm, I'm encouraging my kids to spend more screen time, not less. Let's start with that. This, I love when I get into conversations with my contemporaries. I'm like, just curious, this whole like you're limiting little Sally to 30 minutes of screen time. Just curious, one more time, why? There's no answer. We demonize the future and we over put on a pedestal the past. I watched MTV and SportsCenter and played video games 365. Like, and so I'm not scared of anything. As a matter of fact, I love social media for my daughter when we really were starting to open it up for her. I could see everything. I'm scared of the shadows. Maybe some mudhead up good. I mean, some of us, which is the real point, which is if parents worried about building self-esteem without entitlement with kids, as much as they worried about Snapchat, we'd be in a much better place. I, I care about my legacy. I'm putting, I have a man following me around with a camera at all times. <laughs> I, I, I want to be on the, do you know how, Alex is now the fourth person who's done this with me on my team. Three years ago when I was like, I'm gonna put this all on film, right? Do you know how douchey that was? I was like, I'm gonna be walking around Earth with a film guy. Every single person's gonna look at me and be like, this right? Like, I couldn't, but I remember thinking, yes, but, man, would I pay everything right now to see a vlog of my grandfather every day along the way? Just my, just family, let alone the fact that I could be, I also love losing. So, to answer your question, I've never thought about my level of success or not success as a, as a, indicator to, I don't need to be taken seriously. I'll tell you why. I'm not worried about the reactions in the first quarter. And I don't get high, I look at my, I read all my comments. Literally it runs from the extremes of like, this is the ultimate snake salesman, right? I hate you. And the next one is, you're Jesus and walk on water, right? I don't hear either of them. It's not what, it's not how I register. And so like, to me what's fun is it's, somebody's gonna be right. It's a game. What I like is if I'm right, I get to recall the clip and be like, here's when I went on CNN and said that Instagram was stolen for a billion dollars and everybody else thought it was crazy. That's working out for me. Thank God I wasn't filming in 2004 where I would've made a huge video that says in 10 years every email will be video, 100%. I got really lucky in one thing which was that I lived my whole life building first before I started pontificating which allowed me to learn why I would lose. I would lose when I guessed. I don't guess anymore. I realized, oh the world is so slow that something can happen and then I could just talk about it as if people don't realize it's happening. (laughs) It's a really interesting insight. Guys, Facebook is working. And this company doesn't think so. That's cool if you look at it from my perspective because it's the reason there'll be a downfall which will lead to my business opportunities. But while I'm in it, I think I'm doing a better job than most people in it. I think people are in it, like I wanna 
if, if, if Purell gets $100,000, like, ask Mary Kate if, I know some of you know, like, I, I bought a company for a lot of money and then systematically spent the first year changing everything they did that I didn't believe in. At the detriment of our PNL. Mary Kate? Yes. Like, that's weird. It took them months to be like, what are you doing? How do you pay this much money for something and then stop helping us make money? <laughs> I'm like, because we need to sell the right thing. I love being a salesman because I believe in what I sell. That's the best salesperson, you know? So, no, I, I, I don't think about it. And, and, then, and then other people over, the entrepreneurs over believe that everything will be right and I try to hedge with them of like, be careful, I'll do plenty of things wrong. Um, but no, I don't hear anything. Because I know whether I think I'm right or you think I'm right, it's not gonna matter. It's gonna play out, it's gonna be on the record and then we'll talk about it then, you know? I don't think I get to decide. I think it's fashionable now. I think when you bring value, anything is fashionable, right? right. So I think retailers that bring value can, can survive. The problem is price isn't enough, right? So like I'm very, like I can't wait to buy up retail, like retail locations or like I think, you know, right? It's always 100%, like I don't know, like you know, look, I think there, I'll tell you one of the most fascinating things that I don't see people talking about because I don't think people have made the connections yet. This whole last mile thing, when people hear of the last mile, if you're paying attention to the, the world of business, you're thinking, oh, this is awesome. Amazon's gonna deliver me stuff in one hour, right? It goes way beyond that. I think last mile infrastructure, which again, I, I don't assume everybody is following along. Uber and Amazon and UPS and everybody Postmates, plenty of companies and lots of money. And if you know that, if you're China business, like it's happened in China in a lot of ways, this thought of I buy something, I get it in 20 minutes. For real, for real, right? Is literally going to eliminate every convenience store in America. Like 7-Eleven's already out of business. You know, completely and utterly changed the restaurant industry in America. Like there's so much, like people are gonna have restaurants that don't actually exist and have physical locations that are gonna be huge. So there's a lot, and what does that mean? You know, like where does, where do they make the food? And like there's so much interesting Like, you know, uh, one of the things my brother and I are looking at, and this, uh, kudos to AJ, he comes, because he definitely knows how I love these theses, is he's like, hey, if self-driving cars are real, if all this technology is real, look at this, here's what, Here's what Westchester inventory costs and it's 40 minutes to New York and here's the other side above New Jersey and this is what this costs but it's also 40 minutes. Like isn't this grossly underpriced based on not having a train system? Of course it is. So there's like, you know, like that's like the fun math you start playing when you start playing chess instead of checkers. You know, and I think right now, you know, the brands have no way of succeeding in a trade you know, big box retail. And then what you're gonna do is you're gonna go into Amazon four years too late. They're gonna make Walmart seem like a walk in the park because once you have a SKU that is meaningful enough, they're gonna private label you out. And uh, their private labels are real data, not an end cap. So this is real. But guess what? Like Blockbuster was doing great, right? And like a medallion in this city was their you know, retirement plan, right? And like nobody, nobody's crying, you know, I love when people are like crying for themselves. I'm like, you didn't cry for the bookstores. 
don't see you crying for all the Russian immigrants that came to America in the 70s and owned four medallions down there and worked their whole lives and now it's worth nothing. No tears. So I have no tears for Fortune 500 CPG consumer brands. They're doing the wrong thing. Thus they will pay. You'll never believe what my macro strategy on this is. We didn't pay the piper in 2009. So we didn't really pay our dues for all our bad behavior, thus we don't think it's bad behavior. Back to how I'm gonna raise my kids. When they're mean to somebody, I'm gonna physically punch them. (laughs) I'm being dead serious. I don't care how you judge me in the current state of political correct parenting. I want them to really understand that being rude to another human being or suppressing another human being is a zero tolerance policy. And if that means grabbing the out of their arm, then that's what it's gonna be because we need ramifications. We need to have, and that's what happened. We didn't pay the piper so everything's out of whack. Everything. So, a lot of opportunity. Guys, huge, huge thank you again for Gary. What up, podcast people? Obviously, you listen to shit, so I know a ton of you are not familiar with my Monday to Monday playlist that I update every Monday with Mike Boyd on my Spotify. Go check it out. What is my Spotify? Spotify slash Gary V? Yeah. Gary VE, right? You'll see it. It's called Monday to Monday. Search your Spotify and Apple. Uh, Apple and Spotify playlists. Uh, Monday to Monday. Oop, this is me. I gotta go. See you. Bye.